fact, we are so honoured to have one of those people in this morning for a very, very special feature. It's called Extraordinary People and a few days ahead of Festival, as some of you may still call it, uh, or Carnival, as others do, uh, we have Mr. Roy Hackett in studio. We're really honoured. Good morning, Roy. Good morning to you, sir. And thank you so much for joining us. As I say, this is it's really exciting for me because we've spoken in the past, but never really had a chance to spend more time. Uh, it's always me that's had to cut you off sometimes, and I'm thinking we've got more time to talk. I'm very pleased about that. Uh, now, for those that don't know, Roy, where were you born? I was born in Jamaica, in the parish of St. Mary. And I went to school at Islington in St. Mary. I was there until I was 15 years old. Then I went to Kingston to work as a young man and also to go to college there. I do advanced bookkeeping and accounts until 1948 when I had my first job in a drugstore. It changed name to pharmacy. Okay. Tell us a little bit, first of all, about family and what was family life like and where you were born? What was the area like? What was home like in Jamaica for you? This was a village, but matter of fact, the village of about, I would say, 80 people living in the village, but everybody was my cousin. For some reason, it's auntie or uncle. Okay. And all of this gone, but it's a family-orientated district. I actually grew up with my grandmother. I am the first of three boys and one girl to Harold and Ida Hackett. And they pushed me off to my grandmother, which is the rule in our part of the country, that the first boy to a lady goes to the lady mother, and the first girl goes to the father mother. And I was pushed off to Aunt Lily, which is my grandmother. One of the best things they ever done. Really? She taught me to read and write before I was seven years old. Because in Jamaica, you do not go to school until you're seven years old. No kindergarten, no infant, nothing, nothing at all. We hardly have roads, actually. But we were under the British flag, which says... They looked after you well on the, since 1948. They look after you from the cradle to the grave. But in Jamaica, it was not so at all. Hardly roads, no lights, and these kind of things. But the thing about it is Jamaicans are people who can survive. Everything they eat, they grow it themselves. Therefore, we had a nice family life, and we can run from here to Jerusalem and people's backyard. There was no fences to cross, and we just live like that. And what what are your early memories of kind of, you know, if someone was, was uh, asking you to describe what was the house like, you know, in terms of where where you guys slept, the rooms, where you ate and where, and where you played? Well, matter of fact, you can play as much as you want in anybody's backyard. There was nobody interfering with you. Even if you have animals, you can, you can throw it into other people's backyard, make them eat grass and so forth, donkeys, horses, goats, whatever you have. You can tie it in each in other people's backyard. There's no trouble. Also, fruits. You can also get food from other people's place without even asking them. That was the kind of family-orientated place. Everybody was auntie, Mm. and everybody else is uncle. And that's how it goes. It was very nice. I enjoyed that kind of life when I, up to 15 years old, 
Then I went to Kingston, and that breaks the outfit. And what, what, what was the change like for you then, growing up in such a kind of close-knit, smaller, um, loving family environment, and then, of course, Kingston, uh, a big, bustling place, I guess, for you? At well, it's a long story. What happened was, when I was 15 years old, my father took me from my grandmother to help him in the farm. And the first thing he did was to stop me going to school on a Friday. And Friday is the most important thing to me, and not even me alone, girls and boys in the school, because on a Friday, boys go in the farm and learn how to become a farmer if they have to, to make a living when they leave school or whatever they wanted to do. And girls taught about baby minding, mending, cleaning, cooking, and all that on a Friday. And I really, really hated not going to school on a Friday. And I ran away. Oh, my gosh. I ran away on Good Friday, 1944. And I never see my parents for 37 years. That must have been... No, it was comfort to to me because the thing about it is I had my life in my hand and I do what I like. But the thing about it, I did miss the family gathering because my grandmother, matter of fact, sometimes I think my grandmother was my mother, you know what I mean? These are the kind of things that happen in these small villages and so forth. I was very missed. Well, I actually missed my grandmother more than I missed anybody else because she used to put me on her lap and teach me how to read and write, you know, and it caused a bother in school when we went to school the first day. When we went to school the first day, now in Jamaica the classes are... A, B, first, second, third, four, five, six classes. A and B is when you, they teach you to say one to a hundred, or A till Z. And when my grandmother took me to school, she said to the person who tried to book me in, said, my grandson is not going into this A and B. And the lady said, it is the law. He said, no, that's your law. My law is give my grandson a test, and then we decide where he goes. And she said, all right, leave him. We'll give him up to He said, no, you're giving him now. If you're not going to give him now, I take him back home and bring him when you can give him the test. Of course, I was born in September, so you don't go to school till January the following year because of, you know, rules and regulation. However, this was in January 1935, and... My grandmother sat there, and the girl moved away, went to the headmaster, told him what my grandmother said. He came out, the headmaster, I remember his name, Bolton, and he said, what is the trouble out here? He said, there's no trouble. I want my grandson to have a test, and if you can't do it today, I'll bring him back, but I'm not leaving him. He's not going to know A or B. However, Lily, they said, was tough as old boot. And they gave me the test, and while they were giving the test, he was reading something and giving me, those days we write on slates and pencils. And he said, all right, I'm going to read you something, and she keep on reading. He said, I'm going too fast. I said, no, not too fast. And she read it, and he said, that's all right, give me it. Then she said to me, now, there is your grandma, yourself, and me, three of us. I'm going to give you one shilling to share between the three of us. He said, how would you share it? I said, the last time I knew, there was 12 pence. 
in a shilling. And it's three of us. And if you divide 12 by 3, you get four. So we get four pence each. He said, that's all right. He took it into the headmaster. And the headmaster come out and said, yes, we're going to put you in first class. <laughs> no, that's where the trouble start. Now I'm seven years old. Yeah. First class is nine-year-old. They didn't want me. And the teacher said to me, you look a bit cheeky. Here's a blackboard. Write something down to tell them why you are here. And I said, good. I went up to the blackboard. I write my name down. And I said, I am here to stay. And that stopped the conversation. But that he didn't stop there. After I'd done 12 months in that class, I was supposed to go into second. And again, I would jump from, from first to third. And they didn't like me either. I was a trouble from I was young. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not my trouble. It's other people's. Only because of my grandmother taught me so much about most of the things that you need to well, learn in schools from a teacher. But my grandmother was a teacher on her own. She was a midwife, and she also a, a Sunday school teacher. I don't know how my grandmother learned to read or write, but she was perfect in what she taught me. I was very pleased. When you were 15 and you went to Kingston, I'm... It's going through my mind, and I'm wondering what was going through your mind, Roy, yeah. that decision. You, you say it was comforting and the best thing that, that you did. Yes. But the decision to, to run away, it, it, was a, it would have been a risk. It would have been, is it something that you thought about? And how did you feel during that process of saying, right, that's it, I'm, I'm going? Well, matter of fact, I thought about it, and I thought about it, and I said, it's only one thing I can do, leave home. And I did. And I must have walked about 15 miles. Might not be that, but to kids, it's so long, you know. Yeah. And I was about what, eight, less than eight stones in weight and so forth. And I walked and I walked until I was ever so tired. I, I went under a shop pacer where most of our shops in Jamaica at the time were Chinese. And they have what we call a pacer, like a veranda over the shop when it's closed, yeah. and benches out, you can sit out there. And I went there and fall asleep. <laughs> and a bloke came and shook me and said, Son, what are you doing here? I said, I'm lost. He said, Lost? Where you come from? I said, Islington. He said, Did you drive? No. Did you ride? No. Then how do you come here? I said, Walk. He said, When did you leave home? I said, Last night. He said, It can't be. It must be yesterday. Because you are in Woodside. I said, Woodside? What is Woodside? He said, the district. He said, do you know what time it is? Four o'clock in the morning, and I'm going to milk my cow. You want to come with me? I said, no. He said, have you got anyone living around here? Yeah. I said, I don't know. I said, our auntie, and her name is Mel, and she leave home some time ago. And I don't know where she lives. He said, describe her to me. He said, there is a lady came here not long ago, and she lived up the hill from here. I said, hill where? There were two Chinese shops, and they were passing between the two. He said, you see this passage? You follow it right to the top of a hill. And on the right hand side, there's a half-finished house. 
One room finished and the other room still not finished. A lady lived there, I don't know what's her name, but you can go up there and find out if it's your auntie. You know what happened? It was my auntie. Wow. I walk up to the door and knock the door. This was like 4 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and she came out and she said, Who are you? I said, I'm looking for Aunt Mel. He said, Who's your mother, Ida? I said, Yes. He said, Come on in. And she took me in. And I was wet, 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 really oh. soaked. But it didn't rain. The dew in Jamaica at nights is extremely heavy. In the morning, you could come up. You don't have to go and wash your face with water. Okay. You just go to the cocoa leaves and wash your face, and it, it was so heavy. And he said, let's get you to those clothes before you catch a coal of death. Those were the words. And before she could take my clothes off, I fell asleep. Oh. Yes. You and must have been so tired. I was extremely tired. My little legs were shaking. And she put me in her bed, and I slept. And when I got up, it must have been about 11 o'clock in the morning. And she said, all right, now, I am living here in one room. I can't have you here forever. So I had friends in Kingston hmm. where I can take you, and they can look after you after that. Fair enough, that's what she did. But before she actually took me there, she took me to where my grandmother was born. My grandmother was born about... A hundred mile, nearly a hundred mile from where I was born. So we called them Fala Lion. Both my mother and my father was not from the district. They came to the district, and between both of them, yeah. they make up a generation of about ten. Okay. From my grandmother to my father, the children. My grandmother had four. My mother had four, and her children have a lot. And they come up to about fifteen of us from two people only. Was it was it fascinating for you to find out about your, grandmother. Your, 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 your grandmother, your history, and your background? I was very pleased because when she said, I'm going to take you somewhere before we get there, she took me all the way to St. Anne, and I slept in the house that my grandmother was born in. Wow. It was exciting. <laughs> and on the one, it's a six-bedroom house because I was told her father had and mother had about ten children. But all I knew is only she and one brother. And when I went there, one of the nephews were living there. And do you know what happened? No. Only two of the rooms could sleep in. They, what we had, we don't have zinc. We have shingles in the house. I think when I came here, I saw most of the churches with the slate on top. Mm. And that was shingled, made out of wood. And they are rotten. And the, the nephew they had left here didn't do anything. But then that's not my business because I only spent a couple of days there and we went on to Kingston. She okay. did find somebody to put me up for a while. And then I did go back to school because I had six months to do because I, because I went to school late when I was young. Therefore, I have an additional six months after I'm 15 years old. Wow. Um, and that was important to you, wasn't it? That to, was to be extremely able to to important. The Friday was important because you do the education thing in school Monday to Thursday, but Friday, boys go to the fields and the girls going to do sewing, washing, cleaning, how to look after babies and all these things. This is the road that they put your foot on so that when you leave them, you choose what you wanted. Mm. And it was very... I spent six months there, yes. Oh. And I did go back to school and so forth. Right. We'll talk more in a second about 
uh, kind of a little bit of later life in in Jamaica before you came here. But looking back now, right, when you see and and there are similar stories, I guess I'd have speaking to my elders and and, and my parents of the way that they they were taught when they grew up as children. It's 2018 now, and we see the roles of women and men changed massively. We have equality. When you look back at those ways of, well, if you were a girl, then you were were taught to do this, and if you were a boy, you were taught to do that. Does it seem strange now, or do you understand why things have changed? I do understand, and I know it must come, and we got to expect to change with it, although it's very hard for an older person to change, like myself, you know what it means? But the thing about it is, in when we're growing up, the girls cleaned the house. All the housework was for the girls. The boys had to sweep the yard up and go and chop wood and fetch water back to the house. That's a man's job and a boy's job. And the girls would do the cleaning, the washing and so forth, and the cooking and so forth. That kind of a work, well, to make them into a good mother when they do have children or married and so forth. And I think that was the thing that put a girl or a boy's foot on the first step of the ladder to become an adult. And that was great, in my opinion. Mm. And I cherish it, because it really puts me the where, well, the place where I think I wanted to be, to grow up. and examine myself and do what I think is best for myself and other people, if possible. Of course. So you went, you did your final six months of school, because I was one of the youngest, so I was born in August, so that meant that I was always one of the youngest in my year. If I was born later, I would have been in the same situation as you. Like I did. I think. Yes. So so how long did you um, stay in Jamaica before there was that decision to come to the UK? 24 years. Wow. 24 years, but remember, I was 15 when I leave home, and then I went to college, uh, for Bennett College, to do uh, bookkeeping and accounts. And then the thing about it is, that was about coming to 1948 now, and I went for a job in, like I said, a drugstore. And when I went, um, it was an advert in the morning glean, well, Jamaica Gleaner. Yeah, the Gleaner, yeah. Yes, and I and read it's still it. still around today. Right, there you are. And I said, um, I see that you wanted somebody with bookkeeping experience. He said, yes. No, this is where my luck come in and my luck follow me ever since. <laughs> this look, look at me and said, what's your name? I said, Laurel Hackett. He said, which one your daddy? Harold or Vincent? I said, Harold, he said, you have the job. <laughs> Just like that. You know what happened? Wow. He's from my district, and he was the drinking partner of my father. <laughs> you can't want anything better than that, do you? And that's still, like, do you know, that still happens today, isn't it? When yes. people see each other, and if they know, if you're related to somebody that yeah. they knew and trust, right. that you're from that family, then, yes. <laughs> then it stands you in good stead. Yes, and he said to me, are they still alive? I said, yes. I said, how? He said, I am your countryman. I was born in Islington like you, and your, but your father is a follow line. <laughs> <laughs> so in because, other words, that follow line means yes, because no, he's not from Islington. No, he's not. Because if you didn't born in this city, yeah. in this well, wherever you, you landed, you never follow the roads because there's hardly any road. You follow the train line. You follow the train line to whatever parish you want to go. And therefore, when they landed wherever they stopped, they called them follow line. My father was a follow line. My grandmother was a follow line. So when, about many years later, actually, 
Um, I went back to Jamaica, but before I go to that, I'll tell you what happened before I came to England. When I went to Chini to book my fare to come to England, yeah. he asked me, um, by the way, who are receiving you in England? I said, England. He said, who are you going to stay with? I said, England. <laughs> and he looked at me and looked at his friends, and he said, I meant, you are going to England. You've never been there before. So I said, no, I don't have anybody there, and I've never been there before. But I said to him, I want to ask you something. How long have you been doing this job? He said, eight years. These are Chinese. I said, tell me something. The first man or woman you sent to England, who did he or she go to? He didn't answer. He turned around to his mates and laughed. You know what he was saying? I was an idiot. <laughs> I said, I am not an idiot. I'm going to England because I have nobody there. Mm. And I said, I don't think the first person who went to England did have anybody there. Either. And that's absolutely right. But you, you see, so many other people maybe would have been put off by them asking you that question. But you weren't put off, were you? You were determined that's where you were, that's where you were coming. Well, matter of fact, nothing would have stopped me because nothing stopped me from leaving home. And nothing stopped me when I decided to come to England. You know what I mean? And so, what, what, what made you decide to want to come to England, Roy? Well, it's the rosy picture that has been painted by people from England who came to Jamaica and asked us to come here to help to build England because of the rubbish the war had done to their cities. Um, I did not come just because of that, because that was happened from 1945, after 45, the war finished. Yeah. And all along, they were voting for people, well, asking for people to come to England, not just in Jamaica and all the Caribbean. And a load of people came here free. Unfortunately, this time I had to pay because I wasn't asked to come here because I would have been young when they came yeah. during those days. I got to pay 35 pounds. A lot of money. That was lots of money. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So and how, I didn't have a lot. <laughs> how did you How did you raise that? Well, the thing about it, I'm going to tell you something. My wages in Jamaica was higher than the one here when the first job I had. And when I work in the drugstore, I get five pounds a week cash. You don't pay tax now, not insurance. Mm. And then I have a part-time job, which starts in about October each year till February. It's a part-time job. That's the time coffee. When you get your coffee yeah. or chocolate, that's the time they come in. And I work for Coffee Industry Board, which is a government institute. And I work there like I've in the drugstore. You work Monday to Thursday, nine till three. Hmm. So what I do, four o'clock till ten o'clock at night, I work at Coffee Industry Board, and I get another five pound only between October and February. So during those time, I was rich. My first week wages buy me a bicycle. So you must know what it's all about then. <laughs> wow. Wow. We're really honoured to have Roy Hackett in. Uh, we're, we're talking about him because he is an extraordinary person, and that's part of our Wednesday series. Uh, we'll tell you how you can listen again to find out the first part of life for Roy, where he was born, uh, what happened all the way up to uh, the time he decided he was coming here uh, to the UK. Roy, welcome back. Uh, Thank you. Let's carry on with the story. So what year did you come over to the UK and, and, and where did you settle? I leave Jamaica on the 1st of October and I landed here on the 13th of October. 
and that was a Sunday when I landed here. And um, unfortunately, I got to tell you something before that. My first daughter was born in Jamaica on the 15th of June, 1952. And I leave that year, same year, in October. So she was under months old when I leave. Wow. So fair enough. The thing about it is then when I came here, first I settled first in Liverpool. That's where I came off the boat in Liverpool. I stayed in Toxted, and I can tell them for people who are from Liverpool, I stayed in Upper Parliament Street, 130 um, Stanley House. I stayed in, and the, the rent was one shilling a day. It was subsidized. It's for people like myself and others who came and didn't come to anybody, and you were put there under the government rules, okay. you know. Roy, uh, Roy, tell me what it was like. So, so you had this journey over. You'd never been to the UK. You'd had maybe in your mind this idea of what it was going to be like. Yes. What was the reality on maybe stepping off that, that, that boat in the dock at Liverpool? Well, I, why something strange happened when I came off the boat. They sent some people to take us in, which is social work and so forth. They, well, I think the captain phoned to them pretending that we're coming off there. It was three Jamaicans come off there and one English, well, it was an English bloke. I think he come from there anyhow. And uh, they came and picked us. They put us on a train. And while I was on the train coming into Liverpool, where we were going in Stanley House, I saw white men working on the railway. They, and funny, this was October and they had no shirts on. And I thought, well, well, wow. I've never seen a white man in my country works <laughs> with shop, pick and shovel. I thought, well, I am damned. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> well, I can see that you have a good laugh because you see in Jamaica, we yeah. hard to see white people. Right. I, we hardly see white people because they live in the cities, you know what I mean? Okay. And we live in our country bunkins, as they called us. Yeah. And when I, I said, well, I'm damn, I didn't know they work for the living. And then we went to Stanley House. And I came on the Sunday, and the Monday they took me down to Renshaw Hall, which is a labor exchange. And honestly, it must have been the largest labor exchange in the world. You see, because I thought they had benches. The benches were about, oh, let's say, the length of a football pitch, and all you heard, next, next, wow. next, till I get to where I was. And I'm going to tell you something strange. Most of the people on those benches were all black people, but they were not foreigners. They were African families who had lived in this country maybe before, from the last World War. Not the, the last World War, but from World War One. Wow. Because, and they speak, I couldn't understand the word they're saying. But what they were trying to say, I should go back where I come from. Now, a black person telling me to go back where I come from. Yeah. And I said, oh, why? I come from, he said, where do you come from? I said, where you come from? He said, no, we're Liverpoolian. And I said, no, I'm not. So did they have a Scouse accent, a Liverpoolian accent? Yes, Yes, it's a, like a Geordie. Right. Very yeah. deep Geordie. You know, well, I only knew about Geordie after I leave there. I found out that that was an instant, well, like Geordie accent. Okay. And they keep on, and I thought, what's wrong with these people? However, on my way back from the labor exchange, I was walking along. I didn't have a coat on. And this bloke stopped me, and he said, you're new. I said, what do you mean new? I only come last night. He said, no, it's winter, you haven't got a coat on. 
I said, what is winter? You know what I mean? Mm. And he said, you should have a coat. Or I said, well, I'm not cold, you know, and so forth. Mm. And I didn't have a coat because you're coming didn't Nobody didn't tell me England was not hot like Jamaica <laughs> or anywhere else. And he did. He said, you want a job? I said, yes. He said, when can you start? I said, no. He said, no. You came in yesterday and you must go back and get yourself sorted out. And you know what happened? He said, I'll pick you up tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock. And he did. And he brought me a coat, a half coat. Oh, wow. He gave me a job as a wood chopper. What he did, you know, they used to, we used to have coal and coke. There was no central eating in yeah, those yeah. days. Yeah. And the wood chopping is he bought the wood. In the, he bought the woods from wherever he get it. And they had an electric saw and you cut the woods. And they sped it up and sell it in little baskets to help with your coal and coke. Wow. And that's what I did. Four pound, ten shilling a week. <laughs> Gosh. I leave five pound a week behind. So when it come to Friday now, that was, uh, he said to me, you know, we don't pay you for the first week. I said, I beg your pardon? What do you mean don't pay? He said, it's the rule that we work week in hand. I said, what is week in hand? He said, well, just in case... We pay you now, you know, and next week you don't turn up and so forth. We're trying to get people to work. And he said, oh, say yes. He said, we're taking you down back to Rancho Hall to get money. I said, oh, you mean get money? You don't get money, you work for money. Mm. He said, no, you're entitled to it because you came yesterday, you have a job, but you don't get paid the first week, and they understood that. And he took me down, and they gave me four pound, ten shilling, same as my wages. <laughs> Wow. I was I said, Well I'm down. I was getting five pounds a week and on some weeks, four months in the year I get ten pounds a week and now I get four pound tension, pay income tax and national insurance. Yeah. Very strange. But where we stayed, we didn't have to buy anything but food. They find us with everything electric, cooking stuff and all the material you want in the place, you have it. So, so, Roy, what was that like? You, you, you're in that situation where, obviously, you were uh, sharing or rooming with... Uh, 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 with about 15 of us. Right, so people that you didn't know that yeah. probably were in the same situation as you had come from uh, different places, yes. all trying to, trying to find a job? Yes, they were not in my um, situation. The five of us who came out, four of us came to, um, to this place. We were Jamaicans. Yeah. And the thing about it, all the rest were mostly Africans, and so they were demobbed from the war. Okay. But they didn't want to go home, and they came to Liverpool, and they stayed in there because it's one shilling a day. And they were ex-RAF people, lots of Africans and so forth. Oh. So fairly, we were not. They were not, in our league, matter of fact. In a different situation. Different situation. But yeah. we all mundled along there. I stayed there for about two or three months. Mm -hmm. And then I said to myself, I got to move. I said, when I was in Jamaica, I moved, and so forth and so forth. So what I did, I went and spoke to the people who runs the place and tell them, I'd like to move, I'd like to go to somewhere else. They said, the nearest place is Wolverhampton. And I said, how far is it? He said, it's not walking distance. <laughs> what I can do, take you back down to Rancho Hall, and they give you a train ticket, free, okay. to go to Wolverhampton. And that's what they did. I went to Wolverhampton. I, well, it took about... Hour and a half, I think, from yeah. the door of Rampton. And I came off and I walk around, walk around, and I talk to people, you know. And I saw one Asian shop. Hmm. And um, I asked him if he knew anywhere I can get a room. 
He said, well, my granddad have rooms down there, so, so, so. And he took me. And I can remember, it's 10 Ducey Road, off the Dudley Road in Wolverhampton. Yeah. I stayed. And you know what happened? I got a job the next day in a heist factory. Wow. You know, those days they make heist in bulks, 100-pound yeah. weight. That's why they make heist pick. When they go to restaurants, so they have to take the pick and yeah. rip it up to what they want it to be. It can't be all luck, though, can it? I mean, it's got to be. It's got to be something that you, you spoke earlier about Lily, uh, yeah. your auntie, your grandmother, yeah. who taught you so much, right, yeah. and gave you this start in life. And you, mm-hmm. you you talked a lot about Friday at school, and it taught you things that you needed to know. Yeah. And you even ran away. Uh, you ran away so that you could end up finishing your school. Yeah. Do you think? Along with your personality and the way that you are now and the way that you were then, added to that, this education that you fought for, that must have been one of the contributing factors that you could walk into somewhere and convince somebody to give you a job. Yes, I don't know why, but I hardly ever get no for a job. Unless they say they're full, you know, they haven't got no vacancy. I wouldn't say no, sir. To you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe you would at the time. <laughs> yeah, this snorty those little lads. <laughs> so, anyhow, I went there. I worked in the um, ice factory for quite a while because it was kind of a reasonable. Then I leave that time, um, 10 Joseph Street, and went to a place called Lower Level. Near the train line, I had another place which is cheaper than that one. And I thought to myself, yes. And I stayed there for a little while, then I went to London. I got another train now and went to to London. When I came off the train, this is, like I said, I fell into luck, luck, luck. Mm -hmm. When I went to the train, when I went, when I came off the train, who I met, who I saw, a bloke who I went to school with. His name was Philip MacDonald. And this is in London, yeah? He's in London, but he had left Jamaica in 1944, was in the Air Force. Hmm. And when he was demobbed, he went to London School of Economics and do bookkeeping and whatever he was doing. And he was there. And when I looked, I said, Philip! <laughs> he looked and said, Wait, where you do ya? <laughs> wow. He said, the same thing you do ya. <laughs> Wow. That is in Jamaica. What are you doing here? Yeah, yeah. You know, and I said, Philip, follow me. I'm coming from Wolverhampton. And I come and he said, who are you going to stay with? He said, who come to, no, come to pick you up? I said, maybe you. <laughs> that is joking, you know, between us. And I said, I haven't got no place. I'm just coming in here. I don't know anybody here and so forth. He said, all right, he had a friend who had a room. And he took me to the friend. And I got a room. Wow. And honestly, I hung about for about two, three, four days. Yeah. And I popped into the labor exchange. And I was living in a very posh part of Notting Hill, actually. Yeah. In Ladbroke Grove, off Ladbroke Grove. Very, Cambridge very Garden. Posh. Yeah. And um, I went to see this person and they said, all right, here's this thing. Go to this address. It was Taylor Woodrow, the engineer firm. Yeah. Well, there you are. I got a job from Taylor Woodrow. And... You know what my job was? T-boy. <laughs> wow. T-boy. Because when I told him what my profession was, he said, I don't think we have any job, but you can, if you want to accept a job as a T-boy, because it's a building site. Yeah. So I just, I don't make any tea. I just go to the canteen, get a big thing, like, oh, they will about 20 gallons. <laughs> yeah, the big flask. Yes, yes, and I take it around to where the people were working. 
And then a few weeks after, he said to me, how would you like to go to the country to work? And I was very naughty. I said, country? What country? He said, we live on an island. <laughs> he said, don't be smart now. <laughs> uh. I said, yes, but this is the British Isle, I was told, you know. Mm. And he, he said, it is the British Isle, but this is England, a country. I said, well, take it what one. They took me to Hinkley Point Power Station to build it in 1956. Gosh. And I stayed there for a while until... What happened when you come from London and working in the country? They got to pay you waiting time hmm. as a Londoner. Okay. And once every month, they got to give you Friday, Saturday, and Sunday off to go home to see your family and so forth. And they got to pay for the train ticket return fare right. and pay your wages at the same time when you're not there on Monday. Sounds nice. Yes. And they couldn't keep me. So after about six months, they redundant me. Wow. You know where I find myself? Bristol? No, not yet. Go on. Went Come to on, we, Wales. We've only got ten, 10 minutes left, so we need oh, to do We went to Wales, went yeah. to Wales, yes, and worked for Sir Robert McAlpines to build the... McAlpines, yeah. To, to build the steel mill. Okay. Clan Warren, it was named. Yeah. And I worked there, and when I leave there Christmas Day and come to Bristol, and that, when I came to Bristol, I never left. I never left Bristol until now. But when I said never left, I never leave to go and work anywhere else because when I came to Bristol, first night I got to sleep in a shop pacer up in Ashley Road near to the Salvation Army. Yeah. Following morning I woke up, I saw an Asian boat, I think then another Asian. I said, <laughs> I came in last night, you haven't, he said yes. He took me to 144 Lower Ashton Road in Bristol here and I had a room. I got to share it with three other men and that's where I stayed until I, I brought my wife home. Well, it was my girlfriend and my child over yeah. here. And in 1959, I think it was. Okay. And so forth. Wow. Get married here, matter of fact. Get married in City Road Baptist Church in 1959. Do you know, there's been so much documented about you, Roy, but the, some of the stuff that you've told me this morning, I never knew. Because there's a lot been documented about what happened in Bristol. Yes. Um and, and we'll talk. So we've got about maybe eight, eight or nine minutes to talk about it. But I'm so fascinated from your story of, of where you were born, how, how you were brought up, the fact that, um, that you left home, that you ran away and said, I, I know, yes. I'm going to go to school. Uh, and, and your whole journey from when you came from, from here. Liverpool, ended up through different places, then Hinkley Point, mm. uh, then Wales, and then Bristol. And, mm. and moving on fair fairly quickly is that it seems that from all the stories that that you've told me so far and the times we've spoken before that you're a man on a mission you're very focused and if you want to do something that is not really much dissuading roy that if roy wants to do it then you're going to find a way would that be accurate would that, that be is extremely accurate you know <laughs> because my wife then tell my daughter that he said, Daddy, why do why do I do, 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 do so, so, so? <laughs> she grew up now, and she had to go to a job in, in the Triangle, Bermuda. You know, she's a nurse, yeah. and she had a job in the Bermuda Triangle, and I didn't want her to go. And she said to me, Daddy, 
you don't stop me. Because mommy said, your horse and cart couldn't stop you coming to England. <laughs> so where are you going to stop me? And I she said, had a good point. Yes, she had a good one. She said, listen, I, I am as tough as you. He said, although I'm a woman, well, a girl, she said, although I'm a girl, I can look after myself. And she did. Mm. She went there for five years and gave me a car. But the thing is, is that that's, you know, you, you, you were one of, one of her inspirations. Now, Owen Henry and many, many others, uh, you, you were living in Bristol. There were things that you weren't happy about. Um, you know, it was you, Paul Stevens, so many different people that at different yes. times, yeah. Tony Bullimore, yes. um, and I'm wishing, uh, wishing Tony, Tony yeah, to, oh, wow. And Tony Ben, yeah. yes. I'm yes. wishing Tony Bullimore good health. Um, I know he's not been very well. No, oh, he's um, not, no. And so wish him good health. But Tony, so, so many people you came across, but nearly all of this yeah. was because you wanted to improve the situation, not for you necessarily, no. but for those around you uh, from, from the Caribbean community. For my community. generation, yeah. my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren. I would love for them not to be like... I always said, sometime I thought I'm in slavery, I said, and because I talked to Jack Straw once, and I said, do you know, when you talk about I must become a citizen, I said... You make us into slaves, then you make us British, and now i got to buy myself out of British to be citizen. And he said, talk. I said, no, you are the man I have to talk to. He didn't say a word, he just moved on. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't mince words when I wanted to put things across to somebody. I'm not going to stay around and hang about, you know, asking so so. I tell them exactly what is on my mind. Mm. And I wouldn't abuse them, you know, anything like that. But yeah. fair enough. So i got to talk what I think is true. And tell right. me about that. I might have got the name wrong, so you correct me, but is it the Coordinated Commonwealth? Yes, CCC. Commonwealth, Committee? Commonwealth Coordinated mm. Committee. That's what we're for. Mm. On the 7th of November 1962. Wow. And that later became the... the Bristol West Indian Parents and Friends. And that's when I became just Roy Hackett. When we formed on the 7th of November, I said, gentlemen, as from today, I am plain Roy Hackett because I was born Laurel Roy Hackett. But at the time, I was working for WDNHO Wales. Yeah. 52 white men under me in my department, and I was Laurel. So when I had, when on the 7th of November, yeah. I said, gentlemen, from today, call me Roy. And I'm still Roy until today. But I've never gone in front of a television nor a newspaper when I was doing my activist work. I became an activist, 7th of November, 1962. I'm still wow. an activist. Of course you are. And you're an activist that has had an absolutely... I mean, if I use the word massive, I'm probably still understating. You have had a massive impression uh, yes. on on what has happened today. And, and you know, you with others have paved the way mm. you know you know and i know that, mm. that things aren't as they should be right mm -hmm. there's stuff that still needs to happen uh, and there's a lot of people talking and not enough doing but um, that is true because and on the, the, the 8th of december 2015 i was summoned to the house of commons by the speaker of the house you know what i mean he mm. paid a thousand pound for taxi to take me to and from yeah for me to see the 50th anniversary of the Race Relations Act yeah. in the House of Commons. Paul was there, Paul and his wife, yeah. and so forth were there at the time. And to see all the people from Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland, to see the little people who had made life so different. 
and fighting, they use it for different meanings. We didn't mean to, to have it to get money out of people or so forth, you know, and so forth. But they use it for different things. And I cried on the day I went. My daughter said, I wasn't, didn't want to go. My daughter said, Daddy, you are going. You work for it. Go and see. Yeah. And we both went to the House of Commons on the 8th of December. 19, no, 2015. That must have been proud for you. Do you know what, Roy? I've realised now that we're going to have to do a part two because even an hour is not enough, right? (laughs) But we've got about three and a bit minutes left before the news. And I I want to St. Paul's Festival, it comes up. It's coming up on Saturday, the 50th, well, Carnival. It's the Carnival, now. yeah. But I hear many people saying, you're going to fest, you're going fest, you're going festival. And that's cool. Um, you, among, uh, along with others, and I've seen, you've shown me the original pamphlet, the yeah. leaflet. Yes, something something yeah. that went on, what was it, 14 or 16 days from different schools? 17 days. Seven yeah. Schools and churches. Yeah, every single school from down here, right to Lockleys, every school. And tell us, tell us, for the record, because so many people misquote you and tell, well, this is why the carnival and the festival was started. Well, it you- have nothing to do, we had nothing to do with carnival. What we did was a thank you to the people, especially St. Paul's and Grosvenor Road in particular, because when we were forced upon them, they didn't want us, and I can understand, because I said to the late one Henry, you know, if we were in Jamaica and they push a lot of white people in us, and, you know, we'd feel very uncomfortable. So we got to look at it both ways. They didn't like us. But after many years, they started to accept us. Yeah. And because our kids go to school with their kids, we become friends, we go and drink coffee and so forth. And I thought we had to do something to thank them. And the festival was the first thing we do to thank them. Mm-hmm. And they did accept it and they did enjoy it. Matter of fact, a couple of weeks ago, I walked into a shop and he said, why don't you do the carnival? I said, he said, when we were kids, you do the festival and we have floats to go on and floats to go on. I will be on one of the floats. I was asked by Rise, the firm, the Rise, asked me to go on there. Um, what, What is it now? Yeah, in the procession. In the procession. Amazing. Yes. And you... And, Roy, you should be there. There's so much, I know, so much more that you've got to say and so much, really, that that we need to hear from you. But I guess in... What do you think of it all now? All right, so we're 50 years uh, of, of, of festival or carnival, as it's called now. Yeah. When you're looking at it all, because I'm sure you see the newspaper articles yeah, and the TV yeah, yeah. and the arguments and yeah. the whatever. Yes. What do you make of it all, Roy? I think sometimes I have to give and take because I don't know the facts. But there was bad writing up about them, bad things about what they have done. And I cannot go and blame them because I don't know the fact myself. And I was very sorry that the people of St. Paul had missed the carnival. Because, like I said, the festival was something run smooth for seven years and no problem. But in that case, but what I understood in the carnival makings is that everybody wants to be chairperson ahead of it because they get money but they did it actually they push us out of festival to get to carnival hmm. yes and we were very saddened but we were threatened or when myself and mrs osborne were threatened that if we don't stop it we will be lost forever we're lost without a trace roy 
We've got to leave it. The news is on now. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute honor. You are welcome. And with you and Cherry, anytime you want me between now until I'm 90 on the 18th of September, you can have me. After that, don't. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a bit of time. God bless you, Roy, and thank you All so much. All the best. Yes. Thank you, us. too.